welcome to the World Languages Collaborative Podcast, a series of podcasts aiming to help language teachers improve their craft through innovative ideas, strategies, and best practices from expert teachers. Each year, the World Languages Collaborative brings language teachers together from all over the state of Georgia and beyond to exchange ideas and perspectives on teaching and learning languages. This podcast is an extension of the World Languages Collaborative and is brought to you by the Department of World Languages and Cultures at Georgia Southern University. I'm your host, Grant Gearhart, Associate Professor of Spanish at Georgia Southern. In a pandemic or post-pandemic world, educational technology is more important than ever. It can also be overwhelming, confusing, and downright troublesome. The answer to many of our problems, technology often adds new problems of its own that need solving in order for it to function well. My guest today is Dr. Sarah Wyke. Sarah holds a doctorate in educational technology and curriculum design from the University of Florida, a master's in Romance Languages, Literature, and Linguistics from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, and a BA in International Relations from UNC Chapel Hill. Sarah has received a lot of recognition for her innovative teaching strategies, including the North Carolina Technology and Education Society's Outstanding Teacher and the International Society for Technology and Education's Outstanding Teacher. Sarah has taught all levels of Spanish, including AP and a six-year course built around media and technology. Currently, she is the Director of Educational Technology at the Ravenscroft School in Raleigh, North Carolina. In our conversation today, Sarah and I discuss her journey into the world of educational technology, as well as some of her specific recommendations about how teachers can include technology in meaningful ways in the language classroom. Please welcome Sarah to the podcast. All right, Sarah, welcome to the World Languages Collaborative podcast. Uh, Why don't we start out with you telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, So happy to be here, Grant. I um, am from the state of North Carolina and I've lived all over the state of North Carolina. I love um, that the mountains and the beach are within reach when you live here. Um, I have recently landed in Raleigh, um, somewhat recently. I've been here about four years. Um, Traveled internationally a ton, both with and without students. That's probably what I enjoy doing most. I taught Spanish for 16 years, um, started out teaching um, college level in grad school, and then taught some middle school and high school, ended up teaching more upper levels in high school. I was 14 years at the same school, and then about four and a little bit a year, about four and a half years ago, moved to my current position as a director of educational technology um, at a school here in Raleigh. And I am a mom to three children. I have two stepkids. I have a beautiful lab puppy and two cats. So very busy at home. Well, tell tell us a little bit about what attracted you to educational technology or ed tech and why you took the deep dive and decided to to get a doctorate in this subject. Yeah, sure. I I think that it was less of an attraction than a recognition that the world was changing and heading down a path where we'd all be more connected digitally. Um, I think back to the early 2000s and my mom, who was a college professor, and she was obviously not a digital native, and she taught herself some HTML so that she could maintain her department's website. And I was really just intrigued by that. And um, it was something that stuck with me, and it always motivated me to make sure that I was staying um, abreast of 
the changes that are occurring um, so that I could be the best teacher that I could be to, to students. Um, in 2012, 2013, that school year, I had the chance, or I was given the chance in my school to pilot the use of iPads in a class. And it was a little bit out of my comfort zone, um, but I decided to develop a new course um, because we also, at that time, we had started teaching um, earlier. So in second grade, students were really diving in. And so by the time they got to high school, they a lot of them were taking AP as sophomores. And so we decided we needed a course to come after that for those students who truly were very interested in the language. And so I developed a level six class that came after AP, named it Spanish Through Technology and Media. And I decided to attend the iPad Summit in Boston. It still happens. It's a great conference um, for anyone using iPads in the classroom to kind of prep for teaching this course. Um, and I ended up making the course thematically based on topics of global significance. And I centered it around app smashing, which is the practice of taking many different apps from the app that you can purchase in the app store um, and creating a multimedia project. Um, often it, everything comes together in an iMovie, for example. Um, and one of the units that I developed was called Life of an Immigrant. And it ended up garnering a lot of attention, which kind of took me by surprise. Um, this unit culminated in students interviewing Hispanics about their immigration experience. And as I said before, they used app smashing to create these really amazing um, videos about these people um, that they worked with. Um, and so my school at the end of that year nominated me for the North Carolina Technology and Education Society's Teacher of the Year. And I was like, oh, wow, it's quite an honor to be nominated. Well, I was quite shocked when I won. <laughs> um, I think um, a lot of people in world language weren't doing that sort of thing yet. Um, so um, maybe my, I stood out for that reason, or I think because I was touching upon cultural competence, um, not really sure. But I was automatically nominated for the ISTE, the International Society for Technology and Education, which is an international one um, organization. Everyone from all the 50 states were then nominated and there were some nominated abroad for teacher of the year. And I won that as well. So that was also kind of just really stood out to me as, as, you know, world language really was, was not doing a lot in this realm. Um, and I think that up <laughs> until this point, I had a little bit of imposter syndrome, felt a bit like a poser, um, not a true techie at heart. And then after that happened, I felt a little more confident and emboldened. And that was when I truly dove in, and that's when I decided to apply for a doctorate in curriculum instruction with a concentration in educational technology. Well, that's amazing, and congratulations on, the, on those awards. Um, you mentioned iPad learning, and I guess that was pretty innovative back, uh, you know, 10 years ago. And now, I think with the pandemic and the, the, the uh, emergency use of, of digital learning and virtual learning, you know, my son came home from kindergarten last year with a device. Well, um, that was part of his learning uh, learning path was he needed to have an iPad. So developing things like digital competencies as a gateway to understand cultural competencies sounds like a really, really good, uh, really good use of that, that technology. So um, how can language teachers, in your opinion, best leverage technology to to boost uh, boost proficiency, boost cultural knowledge. What what are your thoughts on that? So the, for 
for me, the key is to understand that it's not just about using ed tech tools. Tech for tech's sake um, became a major issue in the early 2000s and still can be um, for a lot of teachers. Um, substituting tools for paper um, really doesn't have a substantial impact on learners. So if it's something that students used to do on paper and now you're having them do it through the use of some sort of digital tool, then it's really not going to have that, like I said, a huge impact on them. So one of the silver linings of the pandemic was, as you mentioned, that more teachers were forced to teach through tools. Um, and you, you know, all these students were given devices and teachers had to adapt and adopt and figure out how to make this work for their classroom. And there really are a lot of great ed tech tools out there for the world language teacher. Some of my favorite being Edpuzzle, Flipgrid, using a Pear Deck or a Nearpod for greater engagement. Newzella now has a lot of great articles in other languages, especially in Spanish. Um, Quizlet, it's been around for a while, but still um, an oldie, but a goodie. Um, but what teachers really need to be careful about when making sure they're using these sorts of tools is that they're augment augmenting the student's learning experience um, and not simply just replacing what was done on pen and paper digitally. I love the point about the tool not simply replacing paper because I think that's an easy assumption for us to make uh, is that, well, if I just move this from a paper to a digital platform that I've, I've enhanced, somehow enhanced student learning. But as you said, it can actually, it, it can be a low impact practice. And there's so many ways to actually, uh, there's so many tools out there that are more high impact practices. Could you talk maybe about some best practices, some ideas that you have uh, some activities that you've done that have been successful with uh, technology in the world language classroom? Absolutely. I'd love to. I think the number one thing for world language teachers to keep in mind is to make sure it's relatable and that it somehow mirrors the real world. Um, I mean, our students are constantly online um, and they want things that are authentic to them. So um, I, I like to use the example. I remember that. I had to, had to have some uh, talk with a teacher once because she was still teaching students how to buy train tickets at a kiosk um, and was having them practice that conversation. And I said, that's not an authentic conversation that students would have anymore. They're going to buy the tickets online. <laughs> They're not going to buy them at a kiosk. That's a rare practice, especially for younger generations. And so I think that also there's just nothing worse than a textbook. Um, Physically, you know, physical textbooks or online textbooks, which, you know, I have a lot of teachers that want to move on to online textbooks. Um, I just feel like there's so many more authentic materials that can easily be found online. Um, and those authentic res resources can be things like articles, newscasts, stories, videos, all created by real people from the part of the world for whatever you're, you know, if you're teaching Spanish, then it'd be from the Hispanic world. Um, you know, there are some really cool tech opportunities as well through VR. Um, if your district has a, a couple VR headsets, 
get your hands on them. You know, I remember being transported back in the early 90s to Machu Picchu. I saw it in a textbook and I had these dreams of going there because I saw a photo of Machu Picchu. And it was one of the things that inspired me to start studying the language in college. So imagine if a student could tour Machu Picchu in VR. Um, We recently got... um, a donation of VR headsets at our school. And it's been amazing to see the things the students can experience, everything from um, performing or being there while a surgery is performed to um, being in the body of someone with schizophrenia and seeing what that feels like to touring places like um, Machu Picchu, um, like I mentioned before. Um, Another one that I would say is really important to consider as best practice, and I think we all know this, um, is making sure it's proficiency-based and not grammar-based. Having students rightly memorize grammatical concepts out of context is maybe the only thing I think is worse than textbooks. (laughs) Um, It's just not going to inspire um, students. Um, they're not going to remember a lot of it. I mean, I think that's why those are the, the people who are taught language that way are the ones who say, oh, I took four years of Spanish in high school and don't remember a thing. Um, you know, if we can develop our units with the end in mind, I love backward design. Ask what you want your students to be able to do by the end of the unit. So important, no matter what you teach. Um, and then give authentic assessments and tell them how they'll be assessed upfront, you know, no matter the mode of communication, it's easy to do that. Um, one of the things that I think is really important is to work with apartment Zoom departments. Zoom makes this easier to set up department meetings because it's so important to align curriculum through the spiraling of themes so that students have the best experience possible. You know, and that doesn't, this doesn't really require any tech tools. I just think it's one of the best practices in teaching language. Um, And as I mentioned before, I really think that embracing the need for cultural competence, um, I'd say it's more important than ever, but I think it's always been important. But I just think it's been maybe more highlighted in in the last few years. Um, You know, we can use tools like Zoom um, to connect with people around the globe. I, um, I remember finding someone on LinkedIn who was a Spanish teacher in Spain, and I just reached out to them and said, what if we connect our classes um, and connecting with people that way or finding experts in the Spanish world um, on LinkedIn and start maybe what you're studying and having them come in and talk um, or connecting just classrooms through finding teachers on LinkedIn um, can be really impactful for students. Um, there are some really interesting websites and apps now where you can have students connect and have conversations and chats with people in other countries. I know you have to be really careful with younger students with this, Um, probably need to be at least 13 to do this, Um, but there's a site called MoCo that's um, doing a really good job at this. Um, There's an app called Unbordered um, Foreign Chat, which um, can allow students to go on and meet someone from, you just put in the country and the language and it'll connect you with someone who's online and you can just practice each other's languages. Um, So some really cool opportunities out there through technology um, that students can take advantage of. Um, And then lastly, I would say, if I were to give one other best practice, um, I'm always going to come back to this, making it student-centered. Get out of the way. The less you're talking, the more the students are. Um, I love the idea of a flipped classroom, where if you do have lessons that you need to give, 
Um, if you are um, have the ability to record them and have students watch them, um, maybe through a learning management system that's being used in your district, then when you do have face-to-face -face time, it can be used for more collaborative work where students are able to use the language in more authentic ways. Um, so use those, if you have a, language, a learning management system, try to use it to its fullest potential um, by making that content delivery or that discovery um, um, area of your curriculum happen more asynchronously so that you can save the engagement pieces for class. Um, just really thinking about that when you're creating um, your curriculum um, through the use of an LMS. Wow, those are fantastic ideas. Um, I think sometimes it can feel overwhelming. There's so much good, uh, good material, good content, good tools out there. If you had to recommend, let's say you had to recommend to a tech novice, but someone who who sees the writing on the wall and wants to start incorporating more uh, educational technology in a positive way in their classroom, uh, what would you? Where would you tell them to start? What would be one thing that you would say start here and then from there you can build out what, what are your thoughts well I'd have to go back to what I said earlier about making sure that um, you're not using tech for tech's sake so you need to really think about how can I augment what I'm doing um, so starting you know simply with you know if you're doing interpersonal practice it's hard for me to narrow it down to one grant but I'll try um, one of the things for inter interpersonal practice, interpersonal writing practice, for example, I used to like, um, I, and students loved this as a, before having to actually speak to each other, which made them nervous, having them have a conversation on a Google Doc um, and actually write, you know, their first initial um, and then, or they would do what they'd each take a color and they would have a conversation, just type a conversation silently sitting across the room from each other on a certain topic. And we give them a chance to kind of think through what they would say in a conversation, um, with, a, with less time limits. Um, you know, and that's just a way to take something as simple as a Google doc and, and have this interpret, uh, sorry, um, a um, interpersonal conversation that is is lower stakes for the student. Um, I mean, that's just a simple way to start in thinking about augmenting. You know, or if a student is, or like if you're trying to connect with students um, through a presentation of some sort, making it a pair deck where it's more engaging and students have to respond to you and you're collecting their answers as you go through or creating, um, an ed puzzle, you know, instead of them just watching a video and responding to questions, like embed the questions into the video so that it becomes more engaging. This is what I mean by augmenting. Um, look into the SAMR model and you'll see what I mean by augmenting. Like you can actually get to where you're completely transforming your curriculum. But um, instead of substitution, getting to that point where you're augmenting, um, just making it a little better each time than what you would do if you were just simply substituting pen for paper for a tech tool. I think that's the best place to start. I love that. I love the idea of the Google Doc as a simple way to, to start. Uh, and you have this, this sort of educational scaffolding for a real conversation that might be intimidating to students. If you just say, pair up and talk about, you know, describe each other, describe your house to each other, go. And it's that, that spontaneous, you know, that desire to have that spontaneous conversation, but the effective filter goes way up as soon as they hear pair up and talk. 
you can sort of scaffold that, especially for novice learners through something like a Google Doc, but it's much more interactive than say having them um, next to each other trying to write this out in an awkward, you know, one piece of paper and uh, you can have them sort of do this live or even a- even asynchronously as as a homework assignment you know they can do this at home and then come in and, and in front of you do the practice uh and google docs are readily available they're free all you really need is a is a web uh you know web connection in a in a computer or, or a tablet um i want to ask you a question and i'll give you a second to think about it but what are your thoughts on because we talked about this idea of of authentic uh, authentic uh, tools. What about social media? Because I remember, so one of the first times I used EdTech in, in a course was a course I was teaching at UNC. And I thought, okay, we're going to use Twitter. And it worked really well because the students were tweeting at the beginning of class and I had it on the board and we saw the tweets come in. You know, I'd give them a prompt, a question, and they'd tweet the answer. And, and we just sort of followed each other. I had a Twitter uh, handle for the class. Um, but quickly that almost became like obsolete, boring technology. What in one year was exciting and new two years later was like, eh, you know, it's not really interesting. So what are your thoughts on things like social media as a, a common social media, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, um, there's probably more Snapchat uh, for educational purposes. Are you pro con in the middle? So I, I agree with you that if whatever platform you choose can become obsolete really quickly. I used to do, I used to Instagram a word of the day with a photo um, and Spanish and my students were required to follow me. But then it became difficult because they were like, well, we don't use Instagram as if Instagram wasn't cool anymore. Similarly to what you're talking about with Twitter. I used to have students also do a Twitter project where they they would have to jump on and whenever they jumped on they had to tweet the next part of a story and then we would read the story as it had been tweeted out over 24 hours um and the same thing they didn't want to use twitter so you know i I think if you're willing to constantly evolve um you know probably right now you would be making something on tiktok or having students create something in tiktok or Snapchat, which I think Snapchat would be difficult to use in a classroom. Um, But we also have to be really careful, I think, with social media. I know that now that I'm in the position that I am currently as a director of ed tech, um, I'm the one that kind of has to go in the classroom and say, actually, you can't be using that website. It's still in beta and it has ads or that that website's for only 13 up um, or just having people be more careful about what they're using, like making sure that you're looking at um, COPA and FERPA and making sure that what we're using with students is allowed is super important. Um, and with social media, oftentimes a lot of it's 18 plus. So we really shouldn't be asking students to use it. So I think we have to be careful. I don't want to say we should avoid it. Um, one of the ways that some schools do get around it is having, having you know, a Twitter account or an Instagram account that is somehow associated with the school so that it's more monitored. Um, but using it just individually in a classroom is something we actually don't allow at my school currently for just so many reasons. Um, so just being careful about that and students' ages and, 
just equity in general, I think, comes into this and it's super important. Like asking students to interact with something online when we don't know if they, you know, maybe their parents are, um, because of some religious tradition, don't allow them to have certain social media. Um, Or, you know, if you're teaching middle school, not all students may have phones yet. And if you're asking them to do something that would require a phone, uh, you know, record a video, we actually just banned the use of cell phones in our middle school altogether in classes for that reason, for an equity reason more than anything else, just simply because some parents don't want their kids to have phones until the ninth grade or 10th grade, whatever it may be. Um, so I I, did, I don't want to say I'm completely against it, but I, I have worries when it comes to using social media in um, in the classroom um, more based on my current position. Because as I said, I used it before when I was in the classroom as a teacher. All right. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Uh, I think our listeners will get a whole lot out of our conversation. And I hope that we can have you back on the podcast uh, in the future to talk about the newest and latest technology that will surely develop between now and the next time you're a guest. Um, Thanks a lot. And we will talk with you soon. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for listening to the World Languages Collaborative Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And please give us a like and share this podcast with your colleagues and anyone interested in languages. To learn more about the World Languages Collaborative, contact Dr. Mark Linsky from Savannah Chatham County Public School Systems at mark.linsky at sccpss.com. That's mark, M-A-R-K dot Linsky l-i-n-s-k-y at sccpss.com. Again, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.